feeding the homeless on Wednesdays, still. Anybody that wants to go. Um, we'll be down at 9th and Calamus, but if you want to go from here, you can ride us. <coughs> we'll go down Wednesdays. and We have the reusable grocery bags. We got the gospel printed on them, and we hand them out and pray with people and uh, just get to know them and love on them and realize that there's a spiritual battle out there and that we get to be a part of that and encourage them and um, just be part of their lives. So, The next women's study is Thursday, July 7th, 6 p.m. Right, Shane? And then the next men's study, we were going to have one yesterday, but everybody's gone, camping, <laughs> all of us. Um, so we're going to move it to next Saturday. And normally we do it the first and third Saturday of the month, but with Father's Day this weekend, we'll do it next weekend. But then the following weekend is July 4th weekend. So probably a lot of people gone then. So we'll move it to the weekend after for that. So are just like, oh, it's hard. Oh, yeah. It's busy. It's busy. So, but we're going through the, the 12 ordinary men. These are the 12 disciples that Jesus had. And taking a look at their lives, who Jesus picked, how he used them. Um, right now we're in chapter 3. So we're looking at Andrew. Um, we went through chapter one was an introduction and chapter two was looking at Peter, which was really amazing to look at how God used Peter, um, even with all his faults and, and how he refined him, how God picked him for a purpose and a plan. So um, the next youth night is going to be Thursday, July 14th at 630. What, too far out? Is there supposed to be one this Thursday? Yes. Oh, did you? Are we ready for it? I don't. Oh, okay. Think you're out of town. We'll have to see. <laughs> did you? We'll see. We'll see. And then email updates. We've been sending out a weekly email. Um, so if you give us your email address, we'll put you on that list, and then you kind of know what we have going on for the week and. And then it also on the email, it's got the, the link to all the recordings. You can go back and listen to something that we talked about you know, a couple of weeks ago or, or anything um, that we talked about since we got started. So, um, With that, let's pray. Dear God, I just thank you for this day. I thank you for all the ways that you guide us, the ways you provide for us. I thank you for your love, for your mercy, for your grace. I just ask you to watch over this fellowship and that you would watch over each one of our hearts help us to receive the message that you have for us and that you would um, give us ears to hear your word i thank you for the community that we live in and just ask you would help us to be a light and a witness to this community that you would watch over this community that you would guide the leaders that you would guide the leaders in our county in our state and in this nation lord i ask that you just bring many to come to know you here in these last days it's in Jesus' name. I pray all these things. Amen. Amen. So we're going to get started in Romans chapter 3. So we left off last week going through finishing up in chapter 2. Um, and Paul reminds us of what a true Jew is. There was a, a question there at the end, and he says that a true Jew is, is one whose heart is right with God. Um, 
so he's speaking to the Roman church, and there's some some Jews who've been converted to to Christian, and they're saying that that they're kind of above the other Christians, and and then it got into the talk of being circumcised, and and if you weren't circumcised, you weren't really saved, and Paul clears that up and says, no, absolutely not. He says, just because you're circumcised doesn't make you saved. It's your belief in Jesus that saves you. And that the, the circumcision really isn't, it's not the outward thing, it's, it's more the, the circumcision of the heart. That trusting in God, believing in his son Jesus, and, and having that life that wants to, to bring him glory. So, and that's what it was about. And we kind of linked circumcision or related it to, to baptism for us today. You know, baptism doesn't save us. Our faith in Jesus saves us. But what baptism is, it's an outward expression of our changed heart inwardly. We're making that declaration to those around us. Um, one, the, we have the, the courage to, to say that we're a follower of Jesus and that we're going to do that publicly at baptism. And two, the people around us get to hold us accountable, you know, that see us, that got baptized. You know, When we do begin to step out of line or, or not follow the way that we're supposed to. We took a look at that, but here in Romans, we'll pick it up in, in chapter 3, verse 1. Then what's the advantage of being a Jew? Is there any value in the ceremony of circumcision? Yes, there are great benefits. First of all, the Jews were entrusted with the whole revelation of God. True, some of them were unfaithful, but just because they were unfaithful, does that mean God will be unfaithful? So here they were, Paul gets into, not to diminish the Jews, he reminds us that they're God's chosen people, that they were entrusted with what was God's whole counsel at that time, which was the Old Testament. And they took that very seriously. God entrusted them to, to transcribe it um, and, and pass that down. And, and God used a, a very stubborn, hard-headed people to do that which was what we, exactly what we needed. You know, the way it would work is that they would transcribe a scroll. And if they made any mistake on it, and if you ever have looked at the, the Hebrew language, there's lots of articulation there, lots of um, high, uh, you know, extra characters above the letters and, and below the letters. And, and if they made any mistake at all, it wasn't they scratched it out or whited it out. You destroyed the whole scroll and you started over. You know, so God used, God knew that they were they're very um, determined people and that they would follow through with that when God tells them that. So, so we're very thankful that God did entrust them with his counsel. And one of the ways you get to see that is the Dead Sea Scrolls. You look at our translations now and you look at the Dead Sea Scrolls and they line up. And for that to happen is almost unheard of. So Paul reminds us of that and of the benefits of, of having them be entrusted with God's word and relating that to us now. Um, so like I said, if they made any mistake, so you, and it wasn't a page, they weren't doing a page at a time, it was the whole scroll. So you think of this, the scroll of Isaiah or the the scroll of Genesis. So they got to the end of the scroll, the last sentence, the last word, and they made a mistake and 
they would destroy the whole thing. Months of work would be wasted for them. So um, just very amazing how they did that. But Paul reminds us um, you know, just how important they are. And then he asks, just because some of them were unfaithful, which you read about, not all the Jews didn't believe in Jesus. Many of them did. But some of them were unfaithful to God, and it was all about themselves and not about serving God. And Paul reminds us here, you know, just because some were unfaithful, does that mean that God will be unfaithful? And he answers his own question in the next verse, and he makes it very clear. Of course not. Even if everyone else is a liar, God is true. As the scriptures say about him, you will be proved right in what you say, and you will win your case in court. And here, this is prophetic, and he's writing back in Psalm 51. He's going back to what David wrote. So David, at this point, when he was writing Psalm 51, has already had an affair with Bathsheba, has already murdered Uriah, and has been convicted of that sin. Nathaniel the prophet comes and says, David, you're the man that's committed these sins. And now David has a repentant heart. David's confessed his sin, admitted his sin, has a repentant heart, and he's writing about, about what will God do. And he says that God you will be proved right in what you say. That your command is right, that I send against you, God, is what David's saying there. And that you will win your case in court. That your judgment against me, God, is, is just, is what David's saying there. And Paul is repeating that for us here in verse 4. But some might say our sinfulness serves a good purpose, for it helps people to see how righteous God is. Isn't it unfair then for him to punish us? This is merely a human point of view. So, from the beginning of time, man has been trying to justify their sin. And it started back with Adam. And we'll take a look at that. We'll go to, to chapter Genesis chapter 3, starting in verse 9. Um, but from the beginning of time, man has tried to have one foot in the world and one foot with God, and it doesn't work that way. God makes it very clear you're either for him or you're against him. That there is no neutral ground. We're either walking with God or we're walking away from God. We're not sidestepping to the right or to the left. Um, but for, like I said, from the beginning of time, man's thought that they can, they can do both. They can have it both ways. And it's just not true. It doesn't work that way. And we take a look at that here with Adam. Um, so at this point in Genesis, Adam and Eve have said they've eaten the fruit and God is walking through the garden, and um, they go and hide. And God calls out to them, and that's what we'll pick it up here in verse 9. Then the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He replied, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. Who told you you were naked? The Lord God asked, Have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat? The man replied, It was the woman you gave me. The woman, I'm sorry, it was the woman you gave me who gave me the fruit, and I ate it. So God knew where Adam was. God wasn't asking the question because he didn't know where Adam was. Um, And God knew he'd eaten the fruit. Um, But what God was trying to do was get Adam to confess his sin. And, and even though God is trying, Adam still doesn't. 
And what Adam does is he blames it on, on the woman. Well, it's not my fault I sinned. It was the woman's fault. She gave it to me. And you gave me this woman, God. You know, he even further blames it on God himself. And he tries to justify his sin, saying it's not really my fault. We're not gonna, I'm not going to accept responsibility for this. This wasn't me that did this. This was the circumstance you put me in, God. You did this, God. And that's untrue. Completely untrue. But from the beginning of time, you can see how man has tried to twist and justify their sins. And that's what Paul's talking about back in Romans. He's saying that you guys are trying to twist and justify your sins, saying that, oh, well, isn't it better that we sin? Because when we sin more, then that makes God look better. You know, we point all out his good attributes when we sin, all of his forgiveness, all of his grace, and all of his mercy. And that's not true at all. While God is merciful, and he is graceful to us, and mercy is not getting what we deserve. You know, we deserve judgment. We deserve a penalty for our sins. But God shows us mercy. He doesn't give us that penalty. And then he takes it one step further and he gives us grace. And he doesn't, not only does he not punish us, but he gives us eternal life. He gives us an inheritance with his son. And unbelievable that a God would do that. Only a loving, merciful God would do something like that. So, back to Romans. So the question is, you know, isn't it better that we sin? And it, it shows how, how great God is, how merciful he is, how gracious he is. And Paul answers very clearly, of course not. If God were not entirely fair, how would he be qualified to judge the world? But someone might still argue, how can God condemn me as a sinner if my dishonesty highlights his truthfulness and brings him more glory. And some people even slander us by claiming that we say the more we sin, the better it is. Those who say such things deserve to be condemned. So Paul clears it up, of course not. It's not okay to sin to, to highlight God's attributes. God will highlight his attributes on his own. God doesn't need our help. So... And Paul makes it clear here that God is the only one capable of judging the world and judging each one of us. He is the only one that's right, that's true. Um, and Paul's going to further make this point when we get down to, to verse 10 here. Um, but you've all heard the sayings, the end justifies the means, you know. Well, I had to do this, but look at the outcome. The outcome was good. No, no, no. I didn't have to do this. I didn't have to lie to, to get an outcome that was good I didn't have to manipulate to, to get a good outcome. Um, I've read about people in, in churches that will give a, a false testimony. They'll give this really extraordinary testimony, and it's, it's a lie. But it encourages others, you know, oh, look what God's done in their life. And it encourages others to come to know God. And, and people will justify it saying, well, look, the ends justify the means. And that's not true at all. That lie never is just. It's never from God to lie. Um, God doesn't need our lies to, to complete his work. God will complete his work without us. See, that's the, another amazing point is that God doesn't need us, but he, he chooses to use us. And, and he wants to use us to point others to him, to point others to his son. He doesn't need us, though. He could do it all on his own without us. So God definitely doesn't need our lies. And he doesn't need us to manipulate or twist or, or do sinful things to bring God glory. God will bring himself glory. So, 
So, and as we heard Paul here in verse 8, so there were other people that were slandering, saying, well, Paul said that the more we send, the better it is. So now they're lying about Paul. <laughs> and I think that makes Paul very upset here because he says that they, you know, they deserve to be condemned. They deserve the fires of hell is what he's saying. Um, so he, he takes it very seriously, and so does God. God takes sin very seriously. Um, it's not something he takes lightly. But we should be convicted of that and, and want to be away from sin, want to be nearer to God, want to continue to press into him and the work that he wants to do in our lives. And in the work that he does do in our lives is for the good that this circumcision of the heart that we talked about last week, it's not an easy thing for God to separate us from the sin that we're in. Um, it's a, sometimes a painful thing for us, but it's for our good. It's for the benefit of us so that we can bring him glory. No. And it's not through doing sinful things. It's through doing the righteous things, the, the decisions that we make that we get to walk with God or we get to step away from God. Um, remember, we're either walking with him or we're walking against him. There is no neutral ground, no in-between. So we'll continue on here in verse 9. So verse 9, well then, should we conclude that we Jews are better than others? No, not at all. For we have already shown that all people, whether Jews or Gentiles, are under the power of sin. As the scripture says, no one is righteous, not even one. So the Jews were God's chosen people, and everyone else that isn't a Jew is a Gentile. So we are all Gentiles. Um, and Paul's making it clear here, are the Jews better than the rest of the world? No, not at all. We're all on equal ground, and the equal ground is that we are all under the power of sin, and that we all fall short of God's glory, every single one of us. So out of all the Jews and the Gentiles, no one is righteous. We all need Jesus. Um, and that's why John writes in his gospel, For God so loved the world, the whole world, that he gave his only son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life in him. So God sent his son for the whole world, um, because no one is in right standing with God, not even one person. So now, this, I don't know if you guys have ever heard of the Romans Road, but it's a, it's a, an evangelical tool, or a, a tool that you can use to share the gospel. And we'll go through these verses here. Um, of what it is. So this is the Romans road, and this is the, the gospel summed up in the book of Romans in seven verses here. Um, and I'll give you a minute to write them down, and we can always, all the slides are on the, the email that gets sent out. If you ever, you know, if we miss something in the slide and you ever want to to look it back up, they're also attached to those files, so you can look at all the slides. It is. It is. And when you get to read through it, you know, just fluidly, like we'll do, you get to, it's just, a, it's very powerful. And it makes it very clear as to what the problem is and what the solution is. So, so 
So, starting here in chapter 3, verse 10. Um, so I guess I probably could, for everybody that's listening, 310, 323, 623, 528, 109, 1010, and 1013. So as the scripture say, no one is righteous, not even one. For everyone has sinned. We all but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God And it is by confessing with your mouth that you are saved. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So everyone, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Um, And that sums up the, the gospel message, that we all have a sin problem. We all fall short of God's glorious standards. Every single one of us. I haven't met the person yet that only has a little bit of sin in their life. I only told a lie once or twice when I was five years old. I just haven't met that person. They may exist. They may be out there, but I don't know them. Those aren't the people that I guess are in my life. The people that are in my life, as well as myself, have large sins, many sins, and that all of us have separated ourselves from God at one point or another because of our sins, because of our willingness to sin and to walk away from him. But God doesn't leave us where we're at. He sent his son to die for us. And because of that, Jesus' death, willing death, that he went to the cross willingly, not no one forced him to. At any point, he could have walked away. Because of that, he paid our penalty and that we can have eternal life. We get this inheritance with Jesus, with God forever. Spend eternity in paradise with him. So, like I said, the Romans Road, I really like it. Seven verses and it which really sums up the gospel message. So we'll go back to to Romans 3.10. So Romans 3.10, as the scriptures say, no one is righteous, not even one. No one is truly wise. No one is seeking God. All have turned away and have become useless. No one does good, not a single one. Their talk is foul like the stench from an open grave. Their tongues are filled with lies. Snake venom drips from their lips. So these verses here in Romans 10, verses 10 through 12, um, that, those verses come from Psalms. And Psalm chapter 14, verses 1 through 3, is written by David. And then David writes those verses again in Psalm 53. So let's take a look at the ones in chapter 14. So in chapter 14, what David says is, Only a fool says in their heart there is no God. They are corrupt, and their actions are evil. Not one of them does good. The Lord looks down from heaven on the entire human race, 
He looks to see if anyone is truly wise, if anyone seeks God. But no, all have turned away, all have become corrupt. No one does good, not a single one. So, we know of at least twice where the Bible says there is no God. And you get to read that there. And I think it's important to to point out that the Bible taken out of context, you can make it say anything you want. Um, And many people do. Many people will take just a portion of a verse um, or one verse and take it out of context and twist it into something they want to say. And, And I think it's important to understand that the Bible is meant for reproach, it's meant for doctrine, but it's the whole Bible, the whole counsel, from Genesis to Revelation. It's all there. And that anybody can take any portion of the Bible out, any piece of the Bible out, and manipulate it and twist it to say something that it doesn't say, that God never intended for it to say. Um, and I think we, we, as Christians, have to be careful of that. Be careful of what we hear. You know, We're told to be like the Bereans, to go back and study the Word for ourselves. You know, the Bereans listened to Paul and his message, but then they went back and they studied it for themselves. And does the scripture really say what Paul says it says? And they tested it for themselves and found it to be true. And that's what we're to do also. We're to test what we hear and, and decide for ourselves. Is this true? Is this what God says? So it's important here, you know, because if you read the, the whole sentence, you know, it's not just there is no God. A fool says in their hearts, there is no God. So when you put it into context, and, and context isn't just one sentence, but it's the whole counsel of God. Um, and a lot of people get off on doctrine of, of what this should be or what that should be. And, well, are you looking at the whole counsel? You know, what does God say? Does he bring it up more than once? You know, and all the other times, what's the context that he brings it up in? So just something to be careful of. Some, a side note is really where that comes from. Um, so, but... God says here that no one is truly wise because if they were truly wise, they'd be seeking after God is what he's saying here. So no one's truly wise. No one is seeking after God. God is looking for those who are seeking after him. Um, Again, he wants to use us. He doesn't need us. His will will be accomplished without us, but he chooses to use us. He uses us to be that light and a witness to share others, the, the gospel with other people to share the news that Jesus died for us, that he paid the penalty that we deserved, um, that we get to be that light and a witness. And maybe it's not necessarily by our words, but everyone, when they be, find out you're a Christian, are watching your actions. And they want to see, well, do you live like the rest of the world, or do you live like us? Um, are we hypocritical, which we all can be at times? Um, but as a church, we're told to live separate. We're told to be... Um, in the world, but not of the world. So, so God is saying that no one, no one does good work or deeds apart from God here. So, and I find that true in my life. Far enough apart from God, there's no limit to the the evil that I'd be capable of. Um, And the only good work that is in my life is because of the work that Jesus has done in my life. And that's it. That's the, the simple fact. Um, and there's no real way around that. Um, 
remember that we're either walking with God or we're walking against him. There's no middle ground. There's no, I'm a good person. I've done these good deeds. God will let me into heaven. That's not the way it is. That's not the way it works. So let's go back to Romans. We'll pick it up in here in verse 14. So their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. They rush to commit murder. Destruction and misery always follow them. They don't know where to find peace. They all have no fear of God at all. Um, and what Paul's really saying here is that, that all of us have been like that at one point or another. I think sometimes we as Christians think, well, you know, I'm not that bad or I haven't done that bad. Or, you know, there's 600 and some laws and, and there's at least two that I didn't commit. And the other 598 I did, but I didn't commit those two. You know, I wasn't that bad. But what Paul's saying here is that we all are on the same playing field. We've all wanted nothing to do with God at one point in our life. We've all walked away from it. We've all sinned. Um, No one is righteous, not one. So he makes that clear. But these verses here um, come out of, of Isaiah 59. So we'll turn to Isaiah 59. Because Isaiah, starting in verse 1, he kind of explains it also and, and puts it in, in a better context, in a more full context. Um, so, but while you're turning there, we'll cover a few points here. Um, so what verse 17 is saying, they don't know where to find peace. And that's an important one. Um, Jesus said in John 27 that, that the peace that he gives is not like the peace of the world. And the peace of the world worldly peace is this absence of conflict that's what the world says peace is oh there's no conflict there's peace but that's not the peace that jesus is talking about jesus is here in john is telling his disciples to have peace and it's not that there won't be conflict that everything will go smooth in their lives but that they'll have a peace to go through the conflict to go through the troubled times um and he tells them to be confident not to be afraid and that's the peace that god gives us it's not an absence of conflict, but it's a peace while going through the conflict, while going through the troubled times in our life, while going through the, the things that we don't want to go through that are bigger than us, that we can't rely on our own knowledge and understanding to make it through. We can't see through to the other side, but God can, and he has a plan and a purpose for us. And the confidence that we have, this peace that we have, is by trusting in him, trusting that he will get us through this. I don't know how you'll make a way, God, but I know you will. So let's go to Isaiah 59, and this is where, where Paul is getting some of these verses from. This is, he gets them from Isaiah, um, but we're going to start back in, in verse 1 to kind of put it into context what Isaiah is saying here. So listen, the Lord's arm is not too weak to save you, nor is his ear too deaf to hear you call. It's your sins that have cut you off from God. Because of your sins... He has turned away and will not listen anymore. Your hands are the hands of murderers, and your fingers are filthy with sin. Your lips are full of lies, and your mouth spews corruption. No one cares about being fair and honest. The people's lawsuits are based on lies. They conceive evil deeds, and they give birth to sin. They hatch deadly snakes and weave spiders webs wherever 
who I'm sorry, whoever falls into their webs will die. And there's danger even in getting near them. Their webs can't be made into clothing, and nothing they do is productive. All their activity is filled with sin, and violence is their trademark. Their feet run to do evil. They rush to commit murder. They think only about sinning. Misery and destruction always follows them. They don't know where to find peace or what it means to be just and good. They have mapped out crooked roads, and no one who follows them knows a moment's peace. So remember how Isaiah started off this chapter. He said, listen, the Lord's arm isn't too weak to save you. God's desire is to save us. God's desire is that all should be saved, that all would come to know him and be saved. That's God's desire. And his ear is not too deaf to hear you call. But what we've done is, is we've separated ourselves from, from God by sin. And I think it's important here is why, how does Paul get to this point? Because in, before this, in chapter 1 and chapter 2, chapter 1, Paul points out at the end, number 1, he starts off in chapter 1, speaking of who Jesus was and that Jesus is the Messiah, the the one that's chosen to come and save the world. And then he gets to the bottom of chapter one and he starts pointing out some egregious sins. And then he goes into chapter two and talks about judging others. And I think all of us at times have judged someone else. All of us have gossiped or slandered someone else. That's all of us have been guilty of that. You know, maybe there's that one person who hasn't, but I don't know them. All of us have done that, and Paul's making that clear, that we're not to judge others because we have no, no reason to judge others. We have so much wrong in ourselves, we need to focus on ourselves. And oftentimes, you see that in marriage. You know, For many years, I wanted to blame the problems that we had. It was Shannon's fault. Well, really, it wasn't Shannon's problems. It was my problems. It was the things that I was doing wrong. And when I focused on myself and living my life the way that God's called me to live, then all of a sudden things start to change in my life. That conflict be, does begin to go away. Um, so, but that's kind of how we get here. And, and that's what the point that Paul's making. We all, all of us, you know, Shannon and me, we both have sinned. We both have sinned against each other, but we have no room to judge the other person. I have no room to judge her and she has no room to judge me. We should be thankful that God forgave us for what he forgave us for. And we should remember that before we want to be unforgiving towards each other. Um, so, and that's what Paul and Isaiah are both pointing out here, that, that we've all walked away. We've all done things. Um, but that we're not never too far away from God. We'd never send far enough where we can't be saved. Um, and we kind of went over that here a few weeks ago. We went over salvation, that, Salvation is not something that God gives and takes away. Jesus doesn't come into your life and then leave you when you've screwed up. And we know that, you know, when we looked at David's life, David and Bathsheba. You know, David, who was known as a man after God's own heart, went on to, to have an affair with Bathsheba, then went on to murder her husband and, and tried to, to cover all these things up and, and did some egregious sins. But then when he's convicted of his sins, when he confesses his sins, when he asks God to forgive him, he writes in the Psalms, return to me the joy of your salvation. Not return to me salvation. He never lost it. And that's an important concept to understand. And there's other places place in the Bible that also affirm that, but that's probably the most obvious one. And then we talked about 
there is no sin that's, that's unforgivable. There is the unforgivable sin, and we discussed that, and that's the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. And what that really is, is your unbelief in Jesus. We looked at the Holy Spirit's role, and the Holy Spirit's role is three points. One is to convict us of our sin, singular sin. And, and Jesus goes on to define that that's your unbelief in me. That's the Holy Spirit's first job. And that's the unforgivable sin. That the Holy Spirit is pointing us to Jesus, that he's the Messiah, he's the Savior, that he is God. And if we're not receiving him, then we're calling the Holy Spirit a liar. We're saying, no, you're lying. That's not true. He's not God. I don't believe him. I don't need him. And that's the unforgivable sin. Then once we have asked Jesus into our life, the Holy Spirit's role is in lead us in righteousness. To point us the things that we're doing that we should be doing and to point us away from the things that we shouldn't be doing. And then the third role of the Holy Spirit that we looked at was the reminder that, um, that there is a judgment coming and that the judgment has already taken place, that Satan has been defeated. And he was defeated on the cross through the blood of Jesus. So, so those are the things that, that we've looked at that got us to this point. And, and Paul is, is reminding us of those, that we all are in need of Jesus. So, um, and that the first thing that we need to recognize is that we all have a sin problem. And that God uses his word to show us what that sin problem is. You know, that's the law that, that Paul's about to start talking about. The law is, is God's word here, and God's uses, God speaks to all of us, and oftentimes he uses his word to speak to us and to show us where do we fall short and what changes do we need to make in our lives. How do we continue to walk closer with him um, and, and further away from where we used to be? So, But here, Isaiah is saying that, that a life apart from God leads to all kinds of detestable sins. You know, we don't find ourselves in these, these detestable sins, these awful sins. It was a slow process. It was a little step at a time, a little stifling of the Holy Spirit. Um, you know, where the Holy Spirit's saying, no, don't do that. And we're saying, no, that's not really that big a deal. That's not really that big a deal. This isn't really that big a deal. And before you know it, that sin has grown and grown and grown. And it's to the point here where, where Isaiah is making it clear that it, it's, um, it becomes a big problem. You end up further away from God than you ever intended to be. Um, there's a saying that sin takes you further than you want to go, keeps you longer than you want to stay, and costs you more than you want to pay. And that's always true. So, And that for people want to good, continue to go down that road that ultimately God will give them the desires of their heart. You want to spend your, your life here on earth apart from me? Then I'll, I'll give you that. That's not what God wants. God wants them to repent and come to know him, but he'll give that to them for all of eternity. For all of eternity, they'll be separated from him. So, and Paul reminds us kind of where we've come from. So let's go back and we'll finish up here in Romans chapter 3. Verse 19. So obviously the law applies to those whom it was given. For its purpose is to keep people from having excuses and to show that the entire world is guilty before God. For no one can ever be made right with God 
by doing what the law commands. The law simply shows us how sinful we are. So Paul really further illustrates this in chapter 7. So we'll take a look at what he says there. Um, But what he's saying is that, one, number one, the world is all guilty of sin. No one kept all the law. No one ever will keep all the law. And what the law really did was show us just how sinful we are. Like I say, he further illustrates that here in chapter 7. Well then, am I suggesting that the law of God is sinful? Of course not. In fact, it was the law that showed me my sin. I would never have known that coveting is wrong if the law had not said you must not covet. But sin used this command to arouse all kinds of covetous desires within me. If there were no law, sin would not have that power. At one time, I lived without understanding the law. But when I learned the command not to covet, for instance, the power of sin came, in, came, to, my, power of sin came to life. And I died. So I discovered that the law's commands, which were supposed to bring life, brought spiritual death instead. Sin took advantage of those commands and deceived me. It used the commands to kill me. But still, the law itself is holy, and its commands are holy and right and good. But how can that be? Did the law, which is good, cause my death? Of course not. Sin used what is good to bring about my condemnation to death. So we can see how terrible sin really is. It uses God's good command. It uses God's good commands for its own evil purposes. So oftentimes that's how the enemy works. The enemy takes what God has, has done and it perverts it. And remember, our enemy is a threefold enemy. We have our own sinful nature, um, referred to in the Bible as the flesh. Um, we have the world the world system around us, and we have Satan and his demons. That's a threefold enemy. And the enemy is constantly taking what God does and perverts it and wants to twist it um, and turn God's word into sinful things and turn the work that God's done in our life into sinful things and, and pull us away from God. Um, and that's what Paul's saying here, that the law really points out the sin in our life. That's what he never would have known what covetousness is if the law hadn't pointed it out, if God hadn't pointed it out to him. That that's sinful, that's not good for him. And then the enemy used that and, and knew that that's what the sin that Paul would fall into and that he would have to, um, that he would be susceptible to that. So the enemy used that to, to entice Paul away from God. And Paul says that that was his spiritual death. That was what caused him to be separated from God. That was what Paul found his sin to be where he needed Jesus. The sin that Paul couldn't cover up, that Paul couldn't take away, he needed Jesus to take away. And it was obviously something Paul struggled with. Paul talks about oftentimes about sin being uh, us being a slave to our sins. So, um, But Paul also clears it up here in Galatians. And this is where we'll finish up today. So Galatians... Chapter 2, verse 16. Yet we know that a person is made right with God by faith in Jesus Christ, not by obeying the law, 
And we have believed in Jesus Christ, so that we might be made right with God because of our faith in Christ, not because we have obeyed the law, for no one will ever be made right with God by obeying the law. So it's our faith in Jesus alone that puts us right in the right standing with God. Salvation is through believing in Jesus alone. Not Jesus plus anything else that we're saved. Following the law, which is impossible, um, does not save us. Our works don't gain us salvation. We don't work our way into heaven. Um, Only Jesus can do that. And the work is already done. Jesus did the work on the cross. All we have to do is receive that. Receive that free gift of salvation. Receive him into our hearts. Confess with our mouth that he is God. Believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead. Um, The price has been paid in full. Um, Jesus shed blood on the cross is what sets us free. And that's it. Not the law. So so that's where we'll end today. Um, are there any questions? Comments? Prayer requests? It's a quiet group. <laughs> <laughs> it's a quiet morning. So, it's a lot to go through and a lot of you know, talk about sins and and it is a reminder. I think sometimes we think I'm not that bad a person. Well, we lived a life that was separated from God. And at one point we all didn't walk with God. We didn't want God in our lives. And that thankfully God doesn't leave us there. That he sent his son for us. So, yeah, the Romans room was pretty cool because I didn't even know how that all worked until I did a woman's Bible study And I don't have all the verses memorized, but what I did was I just wrote in my Bible, you know, yeah. Romans three ten. Then I wrote the next verse and the next verse. Next verse. It's super cool. Yeah, it is. So. I have no voice today. Any prayer requests before we pray? No. You? No. No, I do. You do? Okay. pray and we'll sing one more song. Dear Father, I just thank you for this time to come together, for this freedom that we have to be able to worship you, um, to be able to to talk about your word and and to learn more about you, about how much you love us, how much you care for us, how much you you provide for us, that you're always with us, you never leave us. I just ask you to meet each of us right where we're at. You know our thoughts, you know our desires, you know what we're going through. You would come alongside us, you would encourage us, you would lead us in your righteousness and right standing and right living with you. Lord, I ask that you would watch over all the fathers today, that you would bless them, that you would um, draw each one of them closer to you, that we would remember you, our Father in heaven, and be thankful to you for the work that you've done for us, the work you've done in each of our lives. Lord, I do ask that you would watch over the, the Sheriff's Department, that you would keep them safe, that you would watch over the Elizabeth Police Department and just all the surrounding um, police departments around us that keep them safe physically, that you would keep them safe spiritually. If there is a spiritual battle and that they 
definitely get to see the front lines of that. You would protect them and their families uh, and watch over them. Lord, I just pray all these things in your name. Amen. Amen. So we'll sing one last song and then we'll go have Father's Day, huh?